Welcome back to another episode of Level 99. I'm your host, Pete. I've been really excited to talk about this episode. Been waiting for some time, and that is Ansible. What is Ansible and how you can use it? What benefits does it have? So I have used several other co-configuration automation tools in the past, such as Puppet, done a little bit of Chef, but Ansible is the one that is just so easy to use. Now I did learn Ansible from a coworker of mine, an old coworker from my previous job, and he was a former Linux engineer over at Ford. Very smart guy, you know, always a very cool-headed guy too. And when he started, and it, this was around the time when I was also kind of getting my foot in with DevOps, with automation, trying to get away from the traditional manual process. And I was going back into dabbling with other tools because before I had messed with Puppet and I hated it. Did Puppet for maybe year and a half, two years, worst experience of my life, hated it. But before he came on, I was also dabbling with Terraform and Chef. Chef reminded me a lot of Puppet. However, it was a little bit more easier to use, but I didn't like the agent base configuration and all that stuff, hated that. So anyways, you know, he came on board and he started talking about Ansible and I started going to some meetups back when meetups were a thing. Luckily, I don't live too far away from one of Red Hat's office buildings and they were hosting a Red Hat uh, 101 session for Ansible because many of you may or may not know, Red Hat ended up buying Ansible and then IBM bought Red Hat. So I guess Ansible is owned by IBM now. But they've done a really good job of keeping the culture, the, the tool on its own without really messing it up or trying to put a cost or a dollar to it. Anyways, going back to the, on the topic, when he joined, you know, I he told me about it. He, he showed me a few scenarios. I fell in love with it. I was like, I want to learn this and I want to learn how to do it now. And I am a very annoying person. I will go up to somebody, if you're doing something cool, I'm like, hey, what is that? Show me, teach me. Most of the time, people don't care about, you know, kind of talking about what they're doing, showing you, giving you a 101 or a rundown. But the most important thing is you kind of have to also do your due diligence. Google things, look things up. But if you're expecting a lot of hand-holding, it's not going to go well, just as a sidebar. And I bug this shit out. I'm like, hey man, can you teach me this? Can you teach me that? So he finally sat down one day, gave me a 101 on how it works, the breakdown, uh, the structure, and all that jazz. So I started to go on YouTube and Google these meetups, learning the basics, learning the foundations the best I could. And I would get stuck a lot. Keep getting these errors and I would like bug him to help me. I would bug him daily just so I can get a better understanding of it. Was I annoying? Yes. Do I regret it? Nope. <laughs> and I could tell that sometimes I was annoying him about it. 
but I needed to learn that so I could make my job easier and do all these improvements as well so it wouldn't just be on him because I recognized you know something cool I want to learn it let's help each other out so while he was focused on automating and doing all these other tasks I was focused on scripting and doing all this work on all the day-to-day tasks and mundane work that I was stuck doing that I really wanted to move away from now before we do get into more use case scenarios of what Ansible can do. I would say that the one resource that I have found to be incredibly useful, easy to read, and this is not sponsored. I just like to give shout outs and promote good resources when I find them. It is a book called Ansible for DevOps by Jeff Jeerling. And if you go to the Ansible subreddit and you're asking questions or need help, there's been a few times where he's actually uh, responder helped me out early in my stages of learning Ansible. Super nice guy, very well known within the community. If you find any resources by him, it's a it's a safe read. I would say, definitely worth a look. Check out the book. It's only ten bucks on Amazon. Worth the read. I learned a lot from it. To be quite honest with you, another good resource that I found when I was first starting out in my career was a course from a cloud guru now i know a cloud guru is very expensive but if you have the student discount or if you're getting it through work for free definitely take that course i like how they offer hands-on labs to follow along with kind of learn as you go i think that is what really helped me as well sometimes ansible does offer uh, online seminars for free so keep an eye out for those most recently, a few months ago, I think it was the end of September, Red Hat hosted Ansible Fest. And it was a great event, it was online, it's free. So if you're also trying to learn some basics and you're not trying to really spend a lot of money, I get it, I was there. Definitely check that resource out. Uh, it's still free to sign up. You'll still be able to watch those, all those sessions on demand. So definitely something worth checking out. Now, what makes Ansible so special? Why is it useful? Mainly because it is agentless. So Puppet, they are agent-based, right? They do pulls. So the agent checks in randomly into the main hub, sees if there's any changes, and then if there is, then it syncs, takes a code, and starts doing the work. There was many times, maybe this has changed in the last few years, I don't know. I haven't really looked into it, but back in 20, God, when was it? 16, 17 era, there was many times where the agent would uh, go out of sync and the only way to fix that is for you to uninstall, reinstall, configure, connect it back. And it was just so painful because it was so unnecessary. Chef is the same thing, same concept as Puppet, I didn't use Chef that long, but I don't like the agent based. You will have to actually configure every node and every agent, make sure it's there. It's too much work. Ansible, on the other hand, you really need to install it on one machine. So if you are running, let's say, Red Hat instance or CentOS or whatever, most of the times you can just download it as a package. Or if you have Python 3 or higher, you can just pip get 
Uh, you can just do pip install and download the software that way. And that's it. Simple, free, easy, barely no configurations needed. Now you're thinking, okay, so you have Ansible installed on one agent. Now how do you push everything out? Because you're kind of getting the picture, right? That Puppet and Chef, they have agents that come back in sync. So how are you pushing your code to these other hosts, these other servers? Well, that's the beauty of Ansible is you're putting all that into either a host file or if it's part of a CI CD pipeline, you can kind of configure that information on the higher kind of the overview on Jenkins or whatever you can define that value there. Feed it into it and then you can run that playbook across all nodes. So here's a here's a good example. Ansible mainly does run on port 22. Now if you have port 22 disabled, there is other ways you can run it. You would have to do a Ansible pull. Kind of defeats the purpose, but it is a better alternative and a little bit more secure for those of you who are in those, you know, locked and secure. So if you are in a government contractor or work for something similar, you're going to most likely be in that scenario. But a good example of what it can do is you can have, let's say, a playbook to do yum update across 50 nodes. Rather than conventionally you logging into every node and running that task, you do one job, make sure all of those instances are listed either on the host file or you can set it on, if you haven't again, as I said, like on Jenkins, you can define, you can define those values there and execute. It will run through, run the same command over and over again. You can have a error threshold. So you will know that regardless, that playbook will never deviate and the, the results will always be the same. Always update it and if you want, you can get a little bit fancier with it. You could add additional value of you know, sending an email or sending a Slack message after it's done or you can add another value of saying, okay, so once the YUM update is done, do a, for, do a reboot, right? So all, then all of your machines are rebooting as well. So some packages at times do require a reboot and they won't be accepted until then. And I think this is mostly true for kernel packages and things of that nature. So it's always good to reboot after a patch. It will, if you are doing a manual process, I highly recommend you look at this product. If not, look at something else, but automating will make your life easier. One thing I always disliked was for Jira, a Elastium product, you had to do a re-index probably once a month, if not once a quarter, depending how big your environment is, and do a locked index. Now, what happens with a locked index is it forces everyone out, locks the system, goes through all the tickets and the changes, and creates a new index so that way things are a lot faster and you're getting a lot better response from the application. And it's also a very good uh, maintenance practice to get into. Though, the thing that I did dislike about it was it takes, it can take anywhere, maybe an hour. Hour is a very good uh, benchmark. But if it's taking past an hour, eh, you might want to look at, your, at your, your application and tune it up a little bit. But anyways, it takes an hour. You have to kind of babysit it. Sometimes the web browser will time out. You have to refresh it and hit accept. If you don't hit accept, it will most likely revert back to the old index after a, I don't know exactly 
time frame could be a few minutes could be 10 minutes whatever but if you don't hit accept i won't obviously accept the changes then guess what you have to start over it sucks so what this playbook did would kick off a re-index through jenkins so i would uh, hit the uh, pipeline it would pull, call the playbook hit the api lock the application re-index then it would check back once every it was an hour and then after that was every few minutes to ensure that the application's up if it's not it will go back to a pause state if the application is up it will then accept the index and then it will send out notifications and letting us know that hey index is done boom another thing that you can also use it for is upgrades with Elastium products the upgrades can be a tad tedious you have to ensure all your configuration files are backed up most of the most of the time when you do do an upgrade with an elastic product it will write over your config files and you would think of a product that is as mature of a elastic product that's been around for it for several years that they would find a way to check to see what the differences are and just either do a copy of your original files, do it back, or something of that nature to at least preserve your settings. Anyways, you can't ask for it all. So what Ansible, what I wrote, was it would copy all my files, do the upgrade, the headless upgrade, come back, put my config settings back in, because for some files, such as server XML, web XML, uh, there was another one too, they were very case sensitive and space sensitive as well right the white spaces they would freak out and we used to use on my previous org Okta and that web XML file and several of its own config files were very sensitive to the formatting one day after an upgrade I couldn't bring SSL up and I couldn't get to the application I was freaking out I had you know the file set exactly the way it was I reached out to the on-call support. We were on for a few hours, troubleshooting. They verified the file was right. And after maybe what, three hours of my life, I finally noticed there was a white space. Deleted that white space, boom, everything started working together. I was incredibly annoyed. It was so frustrating because like three hours of my life was literally ruined thanks to a white space. Ugh. But what Ansible can do is you can configure templates and define those config files and it will copy it into the server, the host, over and over again exactly the same. You don't need to ever worry about fat fingering anything. You don't have to worry about putting a white space. What would usually take me an additional maybe hour and a half to to reconfigure everything, make sure the files are back and start vetting and uh, doing a testing of the application after, it was reduced to maybe 30 minutes. That's about an hour, a little bit more, back to my life. And it was so nice just to see, you know, this playbook just running through and hitting everything at the same time. Now, a lot of you think, oh, this is great, but, you know, what else can you do with it? It can help you provision resources 
However, it's not necessarily meant to do that. Ansible is more meant to, depends on who you ask, be configuration management, drift. You can have Ansible you know, create resources for you in AWS. Uh, EC2s, RDSs, AMIs. I had uh, a playbook at my old uh, company where I needed to have an AMI creative with, I think it had 20 some rules and policies. It was something crazy. And that had to be across all accounts. And if it was missing even a single value or a single permission, the other automation tool would not work. So I created Jenkins pipeline with this in its place. It would run through, ensure that all of those permissions were set accordingly. And if, I think there was another pipeline somewhere and I couldn't find it for the life of me. I asked around, no one knew about it. And it was one of those things where once every two weeks, it would go in and mess with a couple of the AMI permissions because I was reusing a lot of the old uh, AMI accounts just so I wouldn't have to create a new one and all that jazz. But anyways, so I had this set on a uh, cron job where we go in every kind of like two weeks. So like right after it would change it and I would notice it would, if it never changed anything or if everything was the same, it would kind of come back with a result saying zero changed. And if it did change something, then it would tell me. And most of the times it would come back with 11 values changed. And it was kind of doing my job for me rather than me going in every time, spot checking and going through this long list and ensuring all the values are there. Here's another good example. And this will be my last uh, kind of use case example for what you can do with Ansible. And Ansible is literally one of those things that where they say it's one to rule them all. And it's so true. You can literally do anything in it, right? Whether it's Windows, Linux, whatever, application management, just regular patching or networking. You can do everything with Ansible. It just depends on your use case scenarios. The ones I've mentioned so far are have just been mine. Just to kind of help save my my time, my life, my sanity, you name it, it's helped. So that's a quick summary of what Ansible is. As I mentioned, a couple of good key takeaways. If you're trying to learn more about Ansible, Jeff Jeerling's book, Ansible for DevOps, there's tons of good YouTube videos. Ansible Fest was just done a few months back in September. Definitely a good uh, source of information to learn about it. I highly encourage all of you to give it a shot. So, homework. Go learn about it. Try to automate something that you do in your day-to-day -day that would help you. And just go from there. Start small and then move your way uh, up. That's kind of what I did. Started with small things of just creating files, moving files, updating, patching, and gradually made my policies and my playbooks harder and harder. Remember, it's okay to fail. Your playbook's not gonna work probably the first time. It's okay, it's gonna be stressful, but don't give up. I believe in all of you guys. Good luck.